to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and our guest today is Chris Odegaard. And the prolific investor is Chris, and he's an average guy who had a white-collar job in the corporate world and followed the only thing he knew for decades, conventional wisdom and conventional investments. And this worked relatively well until 2009 when he experienced an illiquidity event where he lost 55% of his assets and thousands of dollars per month in cash flow. Then he read Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and his mind was opened to a different type of investing in real estate and private deals, mostly insulated from the volatility, risk, and taxation of the stock market. And in just nine years, he was able to recoup the 55% he had lost and multiplied it many times over. And now he's sharing his experience and knowledge with us. And also he is um, the writer of an alternative investment blog as well. So welcome to the show, Chris. Uh, thanks, Eileen. Thanks for having me on. Really looking forward to it. I think we could just close right now because you pretty much <laughs> answered everything, you know, anything I was going to tell you. So, oh, yeah, no, thanks. there's there's a lot that we need to dissect them in there. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. This is going to be fun. So, Chris, um, if you can share just a little bit more about your background and, you know, how did you come to the realization of um, investing in different alternative uh, investments? So I grew up, uh, you know, middle-class family in Ohio, went to school at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University down in Daytona Beach, Florida. And then I worked in the career that I loved, aviation, for the next 30-plus uh, years. And, you know, my parents taught me what they know was conventional investments, you know, go to college, get a job with benefits and a pension, and uh, some way, you know, way off in the future, you'll be able to retire. And um, so that's what they knew. That's what they taught me. And that's kind of... That's kind of what I know and knew. And then, as you mentioned, I had this illiquidity event in 2009. And uh, a friend of mine had uh, given me a book. And everybody knows exactly what I'm going to say now. A friend of mine had given me a book and suggested, you know, he recommended the book to me. And I bought it. And it sat on my nightstand for longer than I care to admit. And then one day I was on a business trip. I'm like, I'm going to read this book. And I did. And, of course, it was Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that just, you know, it was just like a hit upside the head. All these, all these theories and things about money and how to invest and philosophies that I'd never heard of before. And I was uh, sitting in what I call my uh, little van down by the river apartment. If you've ever seen the Saturday Night Live skit with um, Chris Farley, where he's a motivational speaker and he's living in a van down by the river. Anyway, I was living in this dumpy a little apartment after my illiquidity event. And um it was almost like a sign. There was an advertisement that came on the radio, and I was living in Seattle at the time. And it was for it was uh, from Rich Dad Poor Dad's training company, and they were having a free seminar in Seattle. I was like, okay, I'm registered. I'm going. And then on the day of the uh, of the event, I went to start up my 92 F-150 outside of my van down by the rear apartment, and it wouldn't start. I mean, it wasn't right before I was getting to, low, to go, but that day. And so I managed to find a, a rental car company that would drop off a car. And I made it, you know, 25 miles, you know, to, uh, to this seminar. And that just kind of started everything. And um, uh, my daughter was graduating from high school. No, she was, al she was already in, col in college. And when she started her second year, 
she said, Dad, I don't want to, I don't want to live on campus anymore. I want to move off campus. And I went, okay, I'll be darned if I'm going to pay somebody else's mortgage, you know, up in Bellingham, Washington for the next three years. So we bought a duplex together and the we part of it was meaning her name was on the, on the deed, right? But it was the time of President Obama's first time homebuyer tax credit. So we, we bought a, a duplex and uh, she moved in one side, rented off, rented one room and that side, and we rented off the, you know, the other side. And she did the property management kind of stuff on site while she was going to college. I was about 110 miles away and I did other stuff. And that was the, the first venture into that. And then there were other single family rentals and some all, some small multifamily things. And then uh, I did performing and non-performing notes. So just, you know, kind of uh, a real, a real not straight and efficient path in terms of trying all this stuff and, and learning. And um, uh, now I'm pretty much a multifamily syndication guy. I love investing in syndications because you know, I'm really investing in the management team or the syndicator, somebody who's an expert in whatever it is that they're doing. I say that we don't invest, we don't really invest in assets. We invest in the management team because you could have an identical apartment building on two sides of the same same street and one would be very successful and the other one wouldn't. And the only difference was the manager. So I find, you know, the best people, I mean, you can syndicate anything, apartment building, self-storage, a pool of ATM machines, and I find those people and put my money with them and sit back and enjoy the re- returns and you know my share of their great work. And so that's uh, I think that's kind of a little more detailed answer to your question. But anyway, like you said, nine years later, after doing all this different stuff, like I said, in a very zigzag and and not efficient approach, you know, now I you know I had a back office system, I had you know, CPA and a bookkeeper, and I had a balance sheet and, you know, financials, and I knew what my financial system was. And I was like, wow, it's too bad. Too bad I don't have a place to compare, you know, back in 2009 to actually put some numbers between where I came from and where I got to in these nine years. Well, my liquidity, illiquidity event was something called a divorce. So the attorneys made you do an accounting. That was the only way to fairly split everything. So I went, oh my gosh, I actually do have a balance sheet. And I went and looked at it and I was just like, wow, you know, I have multiplied this many times over and in nine years. And that certainly wouldn't have been possible, you know, with conventional investments and stock bonds and mutual funds. It just wouldn't happen. And of course, a lot, and some of that came with getting really smart about entity structure and taxation. So the, the quickest way to put more money in your pocket is by reducing your taxes. And it's really that not that hard. And so as you were, you know, well, first of all, what a great way for your daughter to learn about real estate investing by living in that property itself mm-hmm. and doing the property management of it and Absolutely. and and just seeing everything, how everything works firsthand. So mm-hmm. the, uh, great, like um, a firsthand, uh, firsthand yeah, teaching. Lessons, yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so then for you, you know, as you were investing in all these different asset classes and everything like that in real estate, you know, what were some of the things that you learned and what did you like and what you did not like in some of these different areas? Um, well, uh, you know, I never, I never really got enough. What I learned, one thing I learned is that, you know, I was managing the properties and one thing, and I, and I didn't like doing that, but there was never enough. There was never really, I never got to a point where I had enough units and enough scale <clears throat> that it really made sense to have a property manager. And, um, and so that was one thing I talked and I started really thinking about going heavy into the, you know, multifamily space, you know, doing it on my own. And, and I talked to some people, I said, you know, until you get to about a hundred units, 
you're not going to be able to justify a dedicated person to your properties. And so you're always really struggling with getting the attention and and that type of thing. So I learned, that's one thing I learned. And I was actually looking at uh, buying multifamily properties in another state because the Seattle market just isn't a very good appreciation market, but not a cash flow market. And again, I was looking for assets. And what I really should have been looking for was where's the market that has the the best property management team that can manage these properties after I acquire them. I should have really been looking to set up the team on the ground and that would have been the first thing and then and then the assets. And and then somewhere along the line I learned about syndications and I went, wait a minute, you know, if I did this by myself, I could make X amount of money. You mean I could just write a check to somebody else? and earn just about the same amount of money without any of the time and my hassle. And I've just completely freed up my life. So that was, that was a huge thing. And, uh, but you know, it's like, you got to pick the right team, you know, not all, there are uh, good, bad and excellent syndicators and deal organizers. So just like anything else, you gotta, you have to pick and choose carefully. And that really, to me, comes from having a network. If somebody comes off the street to me and says, Hey, Chris, I got a great investment. It's like, well, you didn't, you weren't referred to me from somebody that I know, like, and trust. So you really haven't even made it through the, over the first hurdle. You just, you don't get in the front door. Right. And so, you know, in your opinion, you know, um, how is it different? How is it different to like the conventional investments that we all typically are taught um, growing up? Oh, well, that's a great question. I'm so glad, (laughs) I'm so glad you asked. So when I, when I fired the man at the end of 2018, uh, this is when I started. Uh, I started my blog at theprolificinvestor.net, and people uh, started asking me, "Well, Chris, what are you doing? What's your goal?" And and this visual came to me was was a pyramid or a triangle. And at the bottom of the pyramid, actually, not even on the pyramid, in the shadow of the pyramid, where it's dark and damp, were all the conventional investments, which is you know everything that's publicly traded stocks bonds mutual funds etfs the conventional and as you started working your way up this pyramid into all the various asset classes cryptocurrency notes business equipment private shares of some small businesses there's there's i, I compared across 13 different categories and alternatives are better in all but one over uh, alternatives are better over all, all that one over conventional and then there's one neutral item and uh, as I was thinking about this, it reminded me of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so I call this the, uh, the prolific investor's hierarchy of investors. So there's 13 things, but I'll give a couple that I think are actually really interesting that people don't think about. So when you decide you want to go out and buy or invest in an alternative investment, whether it be a single family rental or you, uh, you know, self-storage, or even like some type of uh, some type of business equipment, say, you know, big earth moving equipment, and you want to, you know, finance that uh, for somebody. When you do that, you can get something called leverage. You go to the bank and you say, "Hey, I want to buy this ten unit apartment building," and they will loan you eighty percent, seventy, or somewhere between sixty and eighty percent of the money to buy that, and you put up the down payment and. You get all the upside, and the bank just gets its fixed payment, you know, over the over the course of the loan. Now, if you went to the bank and said, "Hey, look, I would like to borrow eighty thousand dollars to buy a stock, bond, and mutual fund portfolio," they would laugh you out of the office. And so, bankers are are pretty smart. So, why is it that 
they will loan you money to buy alternatives, but they won't touch conventional investments. I think that says something about the quality and stability of that particular asset class. And the other example is is insurability. So whether you have an apartment building and even things that aren't assets, but are higher ticket items like, you know, cars, boats, motorcycles, airplanes, you know, if you have a house and you have a car, you can go to your insurance company and you can insure that asset or that high price item against loss. And people don't think, and you would never think about buying a house and not insuring it. And if you have a loan, a bank won't let you do that because that's their collateral. But people will put hundreds of thousands, even millions of dollars into a 401k plan or, or, or even outside of a 401k plan, a stock bond, a mutual fund portfolio at one of the brokerage accounts, and it's completely uninsured against loss. And if you go to your insurance agent and say, hi, I'd like to buy a policy to insurance against loss of my stock portfolio after they laugh you out of the office, you know? So again, insurance people are very savvy about risk. And I think it says something about the conventional investments. They're uninsurable. So those are two of the 13 things, categories that I've uh, compared alternatives and conventionals to on the, on the hierarchy of investors. Oh, thank you so much for for outlining that and and giving us a little bit more insight of you know the difference of it and yeah th- those things make a different uh, definitely a huge impact and you know changes a little bit of how we see it not just through the eyes of the investor but through the eyes of um, the banks and the lenders and insurance companies and how they view investments. Yeah, complete, completely view them completely differently and not really in a good way as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> So for you, Chris, how do you how do you um, differentiate and diversify across your portfolios on the different alternative investments? And do you do any conventional investments um, yourself? I do. Uh, you know, I would say you know probably ninety to ninety five percent of my portfolio is alternatives. And there are some people who, you know, the very few people that actually talk about alternatives, they would say, well, you should have this really small segment of alternatives. I'm completely the other way around. And what I do with conventional investments is you know i think everybody should invest a a small portion of their portfolio in what i call the swing for the fences the gl- the grand slam the home run you know you're looking for the next microsoft or amazon or whatever these these could be you know reg a plus pre ipo type companies or they could be companies that are already um public or even you know bitcoin or cryptocurrency these are things that could be you know life changing in in, in in, with your wealth. And so that's where I invest in conventionals, uh, things like that, where you're really just saying, and you know, I could do 99 of those, or excuse me, I could do 100 of those and 99 of them could fail, but the one that's successful will take care of the other 99 and just catapult you into a whole different you know, category of, of wealth building. And then, um, you know, also if we look at a 401k compared to like a single family rental or maybe even a syndication, you know, can you talk to us a little bit about the differences um, in the investment strategies there? You're just, you must've done some homework. You're just hitting <laughs> on all the right questions for me. So uh, I have on the resources page on my website, I have a little flyer that compares a 401k versus a single family rental. Because, you know, one day when I was thinking about articles to write, I said, I, like Chris, I, I, it's like I intuitively know that the single family rental is better, but I really don't know because I've never done the math. So I sat down and did the math and the single family rental wins all day long. And I'll, I'll try to keep this short, but the selling points of the 401k are two things, the employer match 
and the deferral of taxes. And so that's what everybody, you know, you've got to do it because you get the free money and you get the tax break. Well, with a single family rental, you get the same thing. So you get something that's better and more. So the, the employer match is just like what I call it's other people's money. It's the benefit of somebody else's money. So with the single family rental, you get an other people money benefit also, but it's bigger and better. And it's called somebody else paying the rent and all the expenses on your rental for you know 30 years, the term of the loan. And um, so when with the 401k, when you make a contribution, but let's say um, let's say that you put in a, in year one in your 401k, you put in thirty thousand dollars, and you buy, you end up with thirty thousand dollars worth of mutual funds. Well, in that year, the employer makes a match. I think the average is something like four percent. So now, if you took the same thirty thousand dollars and used it as, as a down payment on a one hundred thousand dollars single family rental, you're going to get uh, the other people's money. But you're not just going to get it that one year when you make the down payment. You're going to get it for the next, for however, however long you own that property. Every month, that check is going to come in from the tenant that's going to pay, if you did it right, that's going to pay for principal, interest, taxes, insurance, and all your expenses. There's going to be a little bit left over. So you compare the other people's money benefit with the 401k single family rental. Single family rental is way better. Now, the other thing is the, the tax thing. So you, the year that you make the contribution to the 401k, you don't pay any taxes on that, that portion of your income. You, lo- you reduce your taxable income by that $30,000. But later on down the road, you have to pay that back and you pay it at ordinary rates, which is not a good place to be. Now, when you, um, when you put your money into your single family rental, you don't get a tax benefit the first year. You get a tax benefit for the next 26 and a half years. It's called depreciation, whether you ever make another contribution or not. So when you add all those numbers up and you, and you take into consideration the leverage that you got, your $30,000 bought you $30,000 worth of mutual funds. Uh, the, with the single family rental, the, the down payment of $30,000 bought you a $100,000 asset. You get all of that. And you know you have all kinds of flexibility. There's you can sell the property, you can keep it. There's not any restrictions on. You can't take any of the money out till you're 59 and a half. There's you know it's your money, it's your asset. You can do whatever you want. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post production ourselves. Now we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes.
Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, with a 401k, one of the big appeals to it, though, is I think, you know, you're able to have, you know, sometimes to have like a calculator, you're able to put in if I invest this much here, you know, by the time I'm 65, 59, whatever like that, what's my lump sum that I'm going to be able to get. And that's a big like attraction to people right, um, with right. the real estate investing you're not going to be seeing that lump sum right away but what you're mm-hmm. seeing is a compounding effect you know months years mm-hmm. and that grows and eventually you know that portfolio will just continue to grow and compound over time mm-hmm. um right. so yeah when we're taking a look at it it's it's one of the big factors i think also when people are looking at yeah. to compare well, and it's, and you know, the truth is, you know, the, the 401ks and the mutual funds and all that, it's just easy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I mean, it's so easy that, that in, if you, if you go get a job today, the employer, if he has a 401k plan, will automatically enroll you and automatically pick the mix of investments that you're going to get and how, how, what percentage of your income is going to go. And you don't have to know anything. And that, that's the, you, that's a huge difference between conventional investments and alternatives. If you don't, if you go to a bank and you don't know things like net operating income and gross rent multiplier, you know, and cap rates and all that, you're not going to get a loan from the banker. You know, they you, they need to know that you know something about what you're doing. It does require, uh, you know, more knowledge. And some people might, you know, consider that a negative. And I I say, hey, anytime you're getting smarter and learning stuff, that's a good thing. So I consider it a positive. And so for you, Chris, you also mentioned that you're now a lot of your focus is in the multifamily space. And then can you talk a little bit about how you transition into multifamily? And then are we getting the same benefits as like the single family investments as well in terms of like taxes and all that? Yeah, you, you, you certainly do. I mean, the, first of all, I like the syndications because I don't have to do any of the work, right? So just you do that. And whether, you know, you could be... I, don't, I suppose that there are maybe, I suppose there are syndications where people are Putting, putting together a bunch of uh, single-family rentals. Um, but I know some people, and some of these might be like realtors in, in particular, or, or some kind of hardcore investors. You know, and if they aren't, if it's not in their name or the name of their of their they company, they kind of think it's not real, and you don't get all the same benefits. You know, because you know now I'm just one of you know 99 owners of a 40 million dollar apartment building, but you get all the same things. You get the benefit of the loan that the syndicator got, you get your share of the depreciation that the building gets. So you get all the same benefits, but you just don't. And and I think that you actually earn more money if you're with the right syndicator than if you were doing it yourself. And and you you free up your time. And so the, to me there's just there's just not really a downside. Uh but you know but the, but then I'm I'm also the guy that's just trying to free up my time to do more fun things like writing a blog and having interviews with you who people that are doing great podcasts and and trying to just get other people up the up the pyramid i'd rather be doing that than managing you know a huge portfolio of of multifamily units and you know then i'd be managing the property management companies you know you'd still be you'd have your hands in them i don't want to do that and so, you know, for for those invest, those people out there who are looking to kind of get started in real estate investing, you know, and they want to do something similar to what you're doing and creating this passive passive cash flow and income um, themselves, what are some of the steps that you can recommend that they uh, start taking first? Well, you've got to start. You know, we as people, whether no, no matter what aspect, we become what we think about, right? If if you're a you know, I have some friends that are kind of negative and they're always looking for things to go wrong. And guess what? They always find it. They always find bad service. Things always go wrong. So 
if, if you want to become financially educated, you have to start pumping that stuff in your brain. And that would be through books and podcasts and getting in together with people that are doing that, going to seminars and training and classes. And so, you know, I've got, there's a handful of, on my resources page, I've got a handful of books that I think are good for starters and the podcasts that are kind of my, my staples. And, uh, you know, every year, you know, I kind of put together a list of travel and a lot of it is domestic travel. Well, I'm going to this particular class on multifamily and this class on syndication or, or this seminar that's about cryptocurrency. So you got to just start, uh, you know, getting that stuff. It has to be part of your, your routine because, because it, it's not easy like, you know, stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. You can't push a button. And uh, you, so you got to get smart about it. And so, Chris, you know, what is your current focus right now? And what are you looking to do next? Well, I'm still, uh, you asked about, you asked about diversification. And I'm, you know, I guess my, I'm mostly an apartment investor. And, and, and then I have, I do own a portfolio of ATM machines through a syndication that provide cash flow. So I'm not really, and a little bit of self-storage. So I'm mostly in real estate kind of things, and I'm not very diversified in a whole bunch of asset classes. A big advantage of the syndications that I am diversified geographically because you know I'm in apartment buildings in Arizona and, and Nevada and, uh, and Georgia and Texas. And that's really hard to do when you're doing it on your own. So kind of, I think I, one of my, my next focus... My big focus is really this book that I've got that's just near the finish line called um, Get Off Your Ass and Manage Your Money, Why You Need Alternative Investments. So that's really what I'm focusing on. And with syndications, I have the time to write the book and market it. I also have a, yeah, that's the main focus right now. Thank you so much for sharing that, Chris. And so um, how has real estate investing impacted your life so far? I would say that the whole the whole process of gaining education to become a real estate investor in alternative investments. Yes, there's the money and the balance sheet and the cash flow and firing the man and not having to work if I don't want to. And all that is good stuff. But you know, the people that I have met along the way, people like you and just all kinds of investors, some some really high profile high profile people that are kind of rock stars in our world. Now they're not you know they're not everyday names like movie stars but in our world these are these are you know kind of the rock stars and to you know get to meet all these cool people and a lot of them I could pick up the phone and call them or send them an email matter of fact the guy that's writing the forward to my book is a is a very very successful syndicator and money raiser and you know he's writing the forward to my books so i've met a, a lot of very interesting people and and you know that is really and I belong to a couple of investor mastermind groups and just those connections and the conversations that we have once or twice a month uh, is just really, uh, you make, you, you meet smart people, which lifts up, lifts you up. You make some friends and you just get really smart and profitable along the way. And Chris, I'd like to also ask you a really quick question. You know, is it ever too late to get started in investing in alternative investments? I mean, I don't think so. My, uh, you know, my illiquidity event happened in my mid forties, right? So that's that's where I started. And you know, we, I can certainly say, and I know a lot of people, uh, you know, in their fifties like me that would say, "Gosh, I wish I had known this then. Life would have been different." But you know, I would say to anybody out there, don't beat yourself up about the stuff that you didn't learn earlier just because 
of your friends and family and just the surroundings. And that's just what you know. So I would say, no, it's never too late to get started. You just got to have, uh, you know, regardless of your age, have a, have a youthful attitude and an outlook on life and just take on something new. I mean, uh, you know, humans were meant for achievement and doing things right. And the people that you know, that have trouble after they fire the man like I do. It's people who don't know what to do with themselves. They don't have a purpose anymore now that they're not going to their 95, 95 jobs. So never too late to start something new. And so what is one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? Um, I would, Kind of what we talked about a little bit. I know that um, I don't need to do it on my own. I don't have to be the solo guy and that uh, I can make just as much money uh, and free up so much of my time by, you know, just investing with other smart people. Um, I guess that's one thing. Oh, and the, you know, yeah, we talked about the taxes, you know, the incredible tax advantages. I mean, with bonus depreciation right now, and, and this is with me investing in a syndication, I've had a particular investment where I, I invested, a, a made a $100,000 investment in an apartment building and I got a K-1 for people. That's how income is reported to partnerships. It'd be like your W-2 equivalent. And I got a K one that had a one hundred four thousand dollar loss for that hundred. That I mean, that means the next hundred four thousand dollars of apartment or any kind of passive income that comes into me is tax free. And so, you know, Robert Kiyosaki um, always talks about paying little or no taxes, and I have certainly, you know, been able to do that. But in twenty nineteen, I paid zero federal income taxes, and. So of course I wanted to write a blog about this, but I thought this is going to be kind of controversial. You know, people are going to think it's unpatriotic. So I did write an article about how uh, how I took a one hundred thousand dollar four hundred one k distribution purposely because I know I can make more money with it and get better tax advantages outside the four hundred one k. But I created a one hundred thousand dollar taxable income problem. Well, by making the right type of an energy investment. I actually paid no taxes on that. And through some magic that I can't, can't completely understand and some other things, I overachieved and actually paid zero federal income taxes at all that year. And then I went, you know, I'm, I'm going to write the article because uh, this is not a political statement. President Trump, you know, was in office at that time and he was getting a lot of flack because he only paid $750 in taxes. And it wouldn't have mattered whether it was Joe Biden. So I did an article that you know, President Trump paid seven hundred fifty in taxes. I paid zero, so he was an underachiever. You know, <laughs> so anyway, the tax thing that I've learned a lot that that just came with this journey, uh, along with real estate and alternatives, was just incredible. You know, if you, and it's really, it's really not that hard to uh, reduce your taxes. It's like anything else; it requires a little bit of effort and study and some good counsel from a CPA. But it's stuff that everybody can do. And. Chris, what is one thing that sets the successful people apart in the real estate investing in the real estate investing business? Well, I think and it's not necessarily just limited to real estate investing, but it's just you don't give up. You just keep pushing forward. There's always going to be these little setbacks, um, but you keep pushing forward. And the other thing that I think is that if you're if whether it's real estate investing or if it's anything else, if you're only doing it for the money, you're probably going to fail. Because the money's not a big enough motivator. And when the money doesn't come fast enough, people are going to give up early. If you have a higher purpose and say, I'm doing it for this reason, you'll be successful. But if it's just about the dollar, it's really usually not enough to push you through all the hard times. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing all of that, Chris. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me on. This was awesome. 
And so you're doing something incredible and you're sharing your story through your blog and you have a book coming out pretty soon, shortly here. Um, and if our listeners wanted to find out more about you and what you're doing, um, where's the best place that they can go to find out more? Yeah, just go to my website, theprolificinvestor.net. That's where the blogs are. Uh, the, the links to all the social media channels are there. You know, People can schedule a 30-minute free virtual coffee with me if they want to. There's a conventional wisdom quiz that you can take. It's 10 questions, and they're kind of trick questions because you think you know what the answers are. But according to the prolific investor, that's not the right answer. And I'll tell you, I'll send you an email why. And there's a, uh, you know, there's a little star up there if you want to you know, be the second person to find out when the book's coming out. Besides me, you can put your name in for a pre-order. And I also do a little bit of one-on-one mentoring. Uh, and there's a little uh, place on there if you want to schedule some time to talk with me about that. We can we can do that because you know I said my my path was kind of zigzag back and forth and left and right and one step forward and four steps back. And a lot of times when people get on these virtual coffees with me, and it's kind of like Chris, well, what do we do next? And I didn't really have any thing next. I wasn't really planning to do anything more. So I do have a, a paid program that's very inexpensive that if people want to work with me, they can they can check that out. Oh, thank you so much, Chris. And I love that you call it a virtual coffee because especially nowadays in today's world with the technology, we can have virtual coffees with everybody across the across the US. Like I'm here in California, you're over there in South Carolina. We can have coffee together anywhere. Yep, so absolutely. It's, it's just amazing. Yeah, well, you know, the whole COVID thing really just accelerated maybe some trends that were already in in the work. And uh, I know that's been very painful, a lot of people, but uh, a lot of good things have come out of this and will continue to come out of it. Uh, uh, Yeah, no, virtual coffee. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Chris. Well, thank you so much again for all of your time today. Oh, thank you. It was really a lot of fun. Really appreciate it. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.